What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kennedy. The Sixers have played a basketball game that counts for something, and it was in very Sixers fashion, very happy at times, very upsetting at times. They got the win, and we need to break down how we feel about it. Sean, how are you doing? I'm good. Merry Christmas to you, Daniel, and to everybody out there listening. This will probably be going up on a Christmas morning, so a nice present under the virtual tree for everyone to get us get us here hear us talk about uh, Sixers Wizards. If you want to ruin your Christmas holiday by listening to us for an hour, go ahead. We we very much appreciate it. For all those socially distancing and not spending the same quality time with family that they usually would, uh, we have 60 minutes of Sixers talk to fill the void for you. Yeah, we do indeed. So the Sixers last night took on the Washington Wizards and won 113 to 107 in Wells Fargo Center. They were down early, took a big lead in the second quarter, gave that up. The third, the first half of the third quarter was probably some of the worst basketball we've ever seen from the Sixers. Then they slowly worked their way back into the game. Joel Embiid had a great night. He put up a lot of put up a lot of points. He was just making a ton of tough, tough shots the entire second half. And yeah, they pulled up the win against. I mean, the Wizards aren't a bad team. John Wall, Bradley Beal, all of them. But it's not like. It's not like they were playing the Bucks or the Nets, exactly. Yeah, it was concerning that they went six minutes of the third quarter without scoring a point. I think that will probably prove fatal against a contending team. Um, against Washington, you can score 40 points in the fourth quarter and climb back into the game and win. That, that probably doesn't happen against a better opponent. But uh, yeah, 72-0. The dream is still alive, so so there's that. It, it is still alive. Um, yeah, I said Joel Embiid had a big night, 29 points on 10 of 17 shooting. Um, you mentioned the Wizards, just how bad they're de- – they give up 40 points to the Sixers in the fourth quarter. Thomas Bryant, despite being a good player, isn't exactly a rim protector or versatile defender. And Russell Westbrook, like, I, I know it's, it's part of my brand to say that Russell Westbrook isn't that good, but – he had three different plays where he just completely forgot where Ben Simmons was when he was guarding him. Like that, the dunk by Ben to basically seal the game in the final minute was because Russ just completely forgot where he was. Russ was standing at the free throw line as Shake threw the lob from, was it well, Shake? Who threw the lob to Ben on the last dunk that won the game? It was Seth. They ran, Seth. They ran a pick and roll with Joel and Seth and, it wasn't so much that Russ forgot where Ben was. It's that he saw Ben and Joel were both wide open 
and he went to Joel, which is dumb because you'd rather the guy be open at the foul line than the guy who's 6'10 right under the basket and can dunk it very and, easily. And Joel, and Joel wasn't like completely wide open. Like Thomas Bryant was just like stunting over. He was still kind of had Joel. And more importantly, yeah. Russ's Russ was, was Russ's guy and he was standing under the basket and right. Russ completely left him. You can't do that. Right. It was it was definitely an inexcusable play. It was just it was more a, a confusing decision than like a brain lapse. It, I just I, I didn't understand it at all. Um, yeah, he definitely lost Ben a few times, which, you know, it's weird. Ben's Ben's a large individual. If I, I feel like it'd be hard to lose track of him. And it's not like he's JJ Redick flying around all these different screens where you could like get lost in the wash and kind of lose track of where he is on the court. Like Ben kind of cuts hard down the lane and ends up in the dunker spot. And that's, that's like his move. So you, you don't really have to, to do a whole lot to keep track of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just Russ, Russ still playing defense. Like he's the top offensive player in the league. He, like what kind of like Harden before Harden got a slightly better defense where Russ thinks he can just do make up for everything on the offensive end, so he doesn't really have to try defensively. I think okay. Russ is trying defensively. I just don't think he he understand. I don't think he understands that his gambles and just relying on all of his physical abilities over everything really doesn't make him a good defender. Like he can have good flashes if you just like if Seth Curry tried to ISO Russell Westbrook and he was engaged, it would go terribly. But that's not really what defense is all about. Like, I mean, just take a guy like Robert Covington, who has some shortcomings, like athletically one-on-one. I mean, the Lakers were big, big on that and the Thunder too in the playoffs trying to attack him that way. But Covington's always been an awesome defender because he wants to make stuff happen off ball. He rotates well and he has long arms and knows how to use them. It's like he contributes to your overall team defense very well. Sure. Um, although not, not the best time to prop up Robert Covington. He had a pretty rough game in his Portland <laughs> debut last night. Oh, but uh, yeah, your your point stands. He's he's obviously an excellent defender. Um, yeah, I, Russ has that that mono a mono mentality. So if somebody squares him up and says like I'm going to beat you, he's going to say no, you're not, and he'll give it everything he has to stop you. And he's athletically gifted, so he might be able to do so. But yeah, every that's that's only a small part of what team defense and defense in general is in modern basketball so he kind of fails in all the other areas much like the Sixers trying to make their lineups work last year Russ is very much jamming the square peg into the round hole no matter what others may say if you get my drift um (laughs) but uh yeah one other thing I really wanted to talk about just here starting off is Shake Milton what a game for Shake he finished six of 11 from the field for 19 points a game high plus 33 in the plus minus. Of course, you know, individual plus minus in one game doesn't mean a ton, but it's certainly good that the Sixers played that well when he was on the court. And no, you're wrong. It means everything in this instance. It means everything. I want to I hit you with this, though. Who do you think the five Sixers were on the court for their best five-man lineup last night? This is, of, this is on cleaning the glass. They have their three uh, lineups that were plus 15 possessions, and one of them was ridiculous. Yeah, so it was probably the – the lineup at the beginning of the fourth when Joel really dominated and they got back into the game, um, I'm guessing. So that lineup was Joel with four shooters. It was uh, Korkmaz, Shake, Seth, Mike Scott, and Joel. So I- I'm guessing that was the, the best lineup from 
that you're you're mentioning because they really crushed it at the beginning. Of the you are there. incorrect. It is oh. the best line of and this is of Limes have played over 15 possessions and there are three of those for the Sixers last night per cleaning the glass. That you swap out Danny Green for Shake Milton, so you have Ben Simmons, Shake Milton, Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid. In 17 possessions, they were plus 99.3 per 100, scoring an offensive rate of 188.2 points per 100. That feels uh, good. Yes, yeah, effective field goal percentage near 70, free throw rate near 40%. Uh, it, it was it was the basically when they put Shake on the court, and the other line was the bench lineup of Tyrese Maxey, Shake Milton, Furkan Korkmaz, Mike Scott, Dwight Howard, 15 possessions plus 31.7 difference. Their big thing was they smashed the Wizards defensively, which probably speaks more to how bad the Wizards bench was. And the unfortunate part is that in the Sixers' most played lineup, their starters, they had 38 possessions together. They were minus 71.8 per 100 last night with an offensive points per 100 of 55.3, which is, you know, narrator checks notes bad <laughs> yeah this is where we would insert the not great bob gif yeah <laughs> for mad men um okay i, di- I didn't know the uh, 15 po- possessions uh, qualifier so i i feel i still feel justified with my answer basically um, the correlation is that shake if shake milton was on the court last night the sixers were things, budgeting the wizards yeah things went well when shake was out there um conversely things did not go well when tobias was out there oh my gosh Tob- tobias was uh, what I have it here, three of 13 from the field. I think he missed like his last nine shot attempts because he started out okay. Yeah, he made three pretty quickly. Yeah, but he's just – Tobias will forever leaving leave you wanting just more. Every part of his game's like, why isn't it just a little bit better? His three-point shooting is good, but just not good enough. His driving – his drive game into those little fadeaways and those little floaters, like good, but not good enough. At rim finishing, he's a strong guy. He, I, I, I mean, I've gone into detail about how, how him not being able to use his left hand really hinders him at the rim, and he doesn't elevate a ton, but he's a really strong guy, so if he can bump a guy off of his place, he can finish that way. He's, like, not a great passer, but, like, not a horrible one either. Same thing for de- defensively, like, not a great defender, but not going to kill you. But every single part of his game is like, yeah, he's okay, but they're paying a guy – who is just okay, about $36 million per year. And, I mean, they look better when they decide to run, let, put the ball in Shake Milton's hands instead of his because Tobias doesn't have, like, a lot of juice. He doesn't he doesn't move quickly on the court. The decisions feel slow, and it's just – it really bothers me. I, I, It's now been almost two years – I mean, yes, trying to think about how the timeline works. It's been almost two years since the Sixers traded for Tobias Harris, and I just find myself continually disappointed by him. Yeah, he was a early February trade. Um, it was the trade deadline, basically. Yeah, 20, right. 2019 so, yeah. season. Coming up two more months, it'll have been two years. Uh, yeah, it, and last night in, in the opener, it wasn't even a, oh, he's not a max player type of night. And, like, if he was making 15 to 20 million, you would have been like, all right, that was, that was a pretty good game. It, it just was a, it was a pretty bad game all the way around you could you don't even have to bring the salary into it so mm-hmm. hopefully uh we get more into the the former category for tobias where he plays fine and it's not worthy of whatever his contract is but you just kind of have to ignore that and just say all right well at least he's helping the team win it, it was not a helping the team win uh 
30 whatever minutes for Tobias. Super hot take kind of edition of the talking about pod right here. Is Shake Milton just better than Tobias Harris? Like flat out. <laughs> I, I like based, based I on the preseason and one regular season game, he, he has been. I'm I'm gonna require a larger sample size before I say that, but uh signs are pointing to yes. I mean, based on last night, Shake Milton is the goat. Like, look at that, look at that net rating. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, they were scoring almost 200 points per 100 when Shake's on the court. Yeah, he's he's got the uh, sixth man and most improved both locked up based oh, on was... based on Sixers Twitter. No, Shake. I mean, like the thing is, of course, you know, immediately if I hear if I would hear that from someone else, I would say, oh, of course not. Tobias is better. But the thing is, like, I still like two percent believe it somewhere deep inside me, and that's a problem. That the 55th pick is now in his third year. I feel like he's better than the Sixers, Mac. There's at least one portion of my, like, essence that believes he might be better than the Sixers' max contract player. Again, it's uh, it's not great, Bob, as, as is, they say. It is not great, Bob. Uh, you know what was great last night was the Sixers' bench, like, for large portions of the game we talked about. They just blitzed the, wits, blitzed the Wizards. That was tough to say in the second quarter when they tried that lineup with Westbrook, Ish Smith, and I think Howell Neto, which was, again, not great, Bob. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so, um, yeah, somebody on Twitter said it was like watching the ghosts of Sixers point guard past <laughs> out there for the Wizards bench. Uh, <laughs> and we had the present there with Tyrese Maxey going three for six in his debut. Looked very nice as he has all preseason. Um, again, just like he's like similar to Shake in that the, he is quick with the ball in his hands. He can do a lot of things. I almost fainted when he threw that one-handed skip pass to Mike Scott in the corner. For three. Was, what, a, what a great play. It was so good. And he still needs to iron some things out. You know, the three-point shot still hasn't made, made one yet. He, um, he defensively, you know, like not great, but overall very positive from your 21st overall pick looking like he's like 100% a part of this rotation going forward and a positive contributor. Dwight Howard looked good off the bench. He almost killed Denny Avdia with an elbow, got called for an offensive <laughs> foul. Um, he, he's very much like Bill Langbeer in that if Dwight is on your team, you're going to love him to death because it's just fun to watch him sometimes. If he's not on your team, I, like I imagine Wizards fans are so mad at Dwight today. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it, it's the new iteration of Dwight. And I feel like four years ago, it, that wasn't the case where you said you you love having him on your team because he was still a black hole in the post. He was demanding post touches when that's not how the league operates really anymore, unless you're somebody that's so uber efficient in that it, area. It's like, like Joel, an, it's like Embiid, LeBron, Nikola Jokic, Anthony Davis, Cat, we're done. Yeah, exactly. If you're not one of those top 10-ish players in the league who can do that to such a excellent degree that it makes up for the fact that it's an inefficient play. Just don't do it. And Dwight was demanding that. And then he would pout and not play defense like he was capable of. And it was just a mess, but you know, he's to his credit. He's, he's finally accepted his role the last couple of years. We saw him play a significant uh, factor in the Lakers winning their title last year in the, in the role that he had. And he's just doing the same thing here in Philadelphia now. And, you know, he had an excellent 
night, I thought. He, he's, he's running up and down the floor, defending the rim, grabbing a, a bunch of rebounds, and just staying within himself on offense. All he's going to do is get putbacks and catch lobs. And that's that's and exactly what the, they need. And foul the crap out of everybody. Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> if that's – you need a guy to step, step in for Joel and play 15 minutes a night and – not mess up the flow of the offense while they're doing it. And Dwight's that guy right now. He's, he's kind of a perfect fit. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we thought that going in when they signed him and everything we've seen so far has, you know, bore that out. So yeah, good, good night for him. Um, circling back to Maxi, just the guy was in high school two years ago <laughs> and he steps onto the NBA court in his first real game and immediately just carves his way to the rim just no fear just he still looks like he's at another speed than a lot of the guys out on the court uh it's just it's all very encouraging the 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 cross court pass to mike scott for the corner three like you mentioned was amazing like uh, how did how did 20 teams pass on this kid i i'm not sure i'm I'm currently thinking about how tyrese maxi and we were both seniors at the same time and how i would have i think i could have forced him to go to that floater I like on the court, like maybe not. I wouldn't let him get all the way to the rim. I would back up a lot. I, I think I could force a floater out of him. Do, do you have <laughs> any chance to to, to stop Tyrese Maxey from getting wherever he wants to go? No, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're you're definitely right. Um, another guy off the bench really wanted to talk about Furkan Korkmaz. Thought he had a nice night. Uh, three for six from three, basically doing what we all want him to do, which is hit threes and space the floor. He, as long as he keeps doing that, he has a spot in this rotation. He should retire whatever that little floater is fading left that he has because it's not working. So get rid of that shot for a con, but like the quick catch and shoot threes were all beautiful. For sure. Um, I don't mind. He, he whips out the intermediate game every so often. Well, like, and it, like he was like trying to finish over guys in traffic and like scoop it up. And like, he does not have the hand eye coordination or, athletic burst to really do that if it's like a an open very open like soft floater with his right hand i'm cool with it but like the one lefty scoopy tried just missed miserably yeah it's probably a little overly ambitious but you know he, he has to have something to counter when there's the hard closeouts and, and he has to you know pump fake and go so i don't know i it was over yeah it was it was a good night from him he, like he hit his shots he didn't he didn't get torched defensively. He was fine on that end. Um, yeah, just that's what they need him to do. Uh, Doc said in training camp that, you know, he likes what he brings to the table as a floor spacer. And it seems like he's firmly entrenched as part of the rotation. So uh, I wouldn't expect that to change going forward. Just, you know, keep it, keep hitting your shots. Again, you'll be, you'll be out there for as long as we need you. Do we have any big thoughts on Matisse Thibel basically getting a DNP, just coming in for 17 seconds at the end and actually getting a foul, but otherwise just not – he was he was not on the court last night? Yeah, I mean, my thoughts are it wasn't surprising. It, you know, Doc said he was going to have a 10-man rotation and that and that Maxi was going to be a part of it. So Matisse seems to be the odd man out. Uh, he had the, the minor ankle injury in camp. And he didn't, he wasn't practicing too much. So, you know, Doc hasn't had a lot of time to work with him. He hasn't had a lot of time with any of these guys, really, just because of how shortened the offseason was and his kind of coming in into this team later than you would in a normal season. 
Um, so all factor all that in and yeah, Matisse is just the odd man out now. So, you know, that's going to change as the season goes on. There'll be an injury or two. Um, something, something will happen there. You know, there's, we're seeing COVID cases pop up the NBA. I'm sure there'll be a, some sort of contact tracing thing that happens with the Sixers at some point too, unfortunately, um, you know, Matisse is going to have his chance to get out there again and show what he can do. So, you know, you just got to keep your head down and plug away for him. Um, this isn't, it's not like the, the end of his career just because he's not in the rotation in game one of his second year. Uh, but, you know, it's not super encouraging, but we'll see. I'm not, I'm not giving up on Matisse, but again, it's not, wasn't a surprise. Have you seen the, I can't remember who did it, but someone edited a photo where it basically put Maxie's head on Jalen Hurts and Matisse's head on Carson Wentz. And it's a picture <laughs> of Carson staring at him. Uh, I, mean, no, I didn't see that. That's, that's a pretty apt comparison. It, um, is, it is pretty apt. Like everyone loved Matisse last year, but you know, you, you, you have a bad bubble, you have a bad preseason, you don't make the rotation and suddenly Maxie looks like the half court point guard. Maybe the Sixers have needed for like five years and yeah. you know, <laughs> feelings change. Yeah. Suddenly Maxie's carving up the Arizona Cardinals and uh, now, now he's the city savior. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, we'll see. Matisse, it's got to be patient. Just keep working on your game, and uh, you know your time will come. Do we? Would you prefer that they play Matisse Thibel over Mike Scott in the ten-man rotation? Because I, I do understand Mike helps better, and that he gets more respect from defenses as a shooter. Even if he isn't shooting great, he'll get more respect that way because he has shot well from three in the past. And you can kind of play. He's a little bit taller. You can play him as a big more. But, like, Mike still isn't very good. He did not have a great game last night. I mean, he wasn't, like, horrible, but there's nothing to write home about. And at least with Matisse, like, I'm trying to think, like, if you're thinking long-term, because those are two of the most likely guys on this roster to be traded right now, like, if you're looking down the line and trying to think of a way to raise either of their trade values. Because I just fear, like, say they keep this 10 minute rotation for like the next month or two and it looks great, but then Matisse hasn't played and then no one really wants him. And suddenly you're probably getting a bad second round pick from Matisse Thibel, which wouldn't be great. Like that. You probably just don't even make that trade. Yeah, you wouldn't. Um, the only way Matisse is getting traded is if it's as a sweetener for a, a bigger deal, they're not going to just trade Matisse to get rid of him. That's, I don't think that's anywhere close to being on the table. Um, yeah, it, like, would I put him in the rotation over Mike Scott? Uh, I mean, ideally, I would hope that I, I would want him to be in the rotation. But the way everything fits together right now, we, like we just talked about how well that bench unit played together. All the pieces seem to fit perfectly. Um, Doc has talked repeatedly and Daryl Morey has said, like, we want to surround Ben and Joel with as many shooters as possible. And Matisse is just not, I don't think he's the shooter or the shooting threat that Scott is. Um, and so we saw the bench, the all bench unit, and we saw the unit with Joel with shooters in the fourth. And uh, both times they worked out really well. So if you sub in Matisse for Mike in those lineups, I don't know if it would be quite as effective. So right now it's, it's a, with the bench unit, it's a, if it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of situation. So, I mean, in, in an ideal world, Matisse would have like forced his way into the lineup 
kind of like Tyrese Maxey did. Like, I don't, I don't think coming into camp, Doc was like, all right, Maxey's the first round pick. He's getting a rotation spot. I think Maxey came and he showed that he deserved it right away. And he kind of forced Doc's hand. So that that's what you want from your player. You want them to, to step up and say like, Hey, I'm going to play so well that you, you can't help put me in the lineup. And uh, Matisse, given the, what we saw in preseason and everything, it, it just wasn't quite there. So um, time will tell with, Matisse and I, I still like him a lot as a player, so I think that will turn around. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything right now, as far as the bench is concerned. I'm just pointing out that Mike Scott is six seven and Matisse Thibel is six five, so it really would just be shooting. Like I think, given like if you remember back to the bubble, the Spurs played a lineup where it was three guards and Demar Derozan as their like four. If you put like Matisse Thibel at a kind of power four forwardy position had him guard some bigger guys. I think he has the length probably to, as long as they're not like jumbo creators that he has to guard, just like typical fours, I actually think he could do it. So I think it would really just come down to, can he shoot well enough that you want to try those lineups out? Um, But I totally get what you're saying about, I mean, this team is concerned primarily about doing the best they can the regular season and trying to just become a really good team that can win in the playoffs. And Mike Scott might help them more toward winning right now than Matisse will due to his shooting, how he can fit with the pieces on the court. Um, I am concerned though, that Mike Scott played more minutes than both Dwight Howard and Tyrese Maxey last night. I, I would like to see that flip flop. Well, I mean, Dwight's just going to, he's going to play the minutes that Joel doesn't. So yeah, if, I, I, that's if Dwight's good. not paying, playing a lot of minutes, that just means Joel was able to go longer. So that's what about, what about Maxey though? What, why can't we just, just get, why is Mike Scott getting, pretty much exactly six more minutes than Maxi is when yeah. Maxi is better and more fun. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, I, I would like to see a little more Maxi. Like it was weird that he went away from him a little bit in the second half. Like he, he played more first half minutes. Uh, I, I guess it was just because the team was down and but that wasn't, Maxie's to... fa- that wasn't Maxi's fault at all. The no, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying that, Doc trusted his vets a little bit more to get them back into the game. Um, I think that was it more than anything. Like it, maybe he just thought throwing the rookie in his first game out there when the team was down 10 and really needed to turn things around was a little unfair or, or not even that it was unfair to him. It was just more that he trusted the vets to do it more. Um, I don't know. I, it, again, it was, it was his first NBA game speaking of Maxi and it, the fact that he got 11 minutes is great. I, I think we should be encouraged by that. Um, and I would look for his role to grow as the season goes on. I'm not going to read too much into, Oh, he played a few minutes less than Mike Scott in game one. I, I just like, I mean, it's selfish because you want to see the young guys who are hopefully going to be on the team for a long time, hopefully be the key contributors on this team moving forward in Tyrese Maxey and like Shake Milton, who we talked about and got plenty of run last night and Shake Milton did, but you would like to see Maxey play more than a guy like Mike Scott, who, as we both predicted in the preseason, most likely to be traded from this roster. So, you know, there's obviously a caveat there that we're probably biased towards. Like there's, there's going to be a lot more Maxey jerseys bought than Mike Scott jerseys bought. We'll put it that way. Yeah. I mean, Maxey's the future and everyone wants to see him succeed. So any, Anytime he is playing well, people are just going to call for him to, to stay out there or play more, you know, whatever the case may be. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I would, again, it, 
the bench was fine. Like yeah. if, if Tobias wasn't a train wreck and Danny <laughs> green could hit a shot and Seth had a little better night shooting, then this would have been an excellent performance all around from the Sixers. Like the bench unit did everything right. So I'm not going to come away from the opener and say like, Oh, they need to change things with the bench rotation at all. Mm-hmm. Just one quick thing before we move on. Uh, while Maxi might have more jerseys, he will not inspire a large group of people to get tattoos on their neck like Mike Scott did. So, you know. No. Mike Scott will always have the hive. The, he will always have the hive. Um, but moving on to those veterans you were talking about, it's particularly Danny Green and Seth Curry, the two new additions to the starting lineup. Seth Curry <laughs> finished four for eight, 13 points. Didn't do a ton. He was one for five from three, but he had the big shot, like the big floater with the shot clock running down near the end of the game. That was really important. Danny Green, like you said, one for six, only 18 minutes. They basically swapped him out for Shake Milton down the stretch. Only two points and a team low minus 27 and plus minus. But, I mean, this is what I said about Danny Green coming into the season. I thought the whole time, I think Danny's fine. He is just, the defense will always be there. And I thought, again, he was fine defensively last night. It's just the offense is very, very up and down. I, I believe Zach Lowe described him as creaky which is a good way to put it. Like he is edging at this, at this stage of his career is edging on the, like he is edging between starter and bench player with how he, cause I mean, his whole game offensively is based on shooting cause he's not athletic and he can't really dribble. So he really just needs to be hitting threes. And if he isn't, it's going to look bad, but he still had two steals last night and he just is always in the right spot. Just a very smart positional defender with good instincts, all that kinds of stuff. So, you know, I'm not, like, worried about Danny Green going forward, although I could definitely hear an argument that maybe maybe their best closing lineup is with him subbed out and putting Shake Milton in there. So, again, they have, like, that kind of the off-the-dribble shot creator in the lineup. W- would you agree with that? I mean, if Shake continues playing like he did in the opener and the preseason, then, yeah, you want Shake out there, absolutely. If um, Shake keeps playing like that, we can't trade him for James Harden, straight up. <laughs> No, I, I mean, given the, the con, the relative contracts and everything else, uh, <laughs> you know, um, it's, you can make an argument, I suppose. Uh, franchise right now, 10 drafting players, Shake Milton, number one, or Luka Doncic. It's coming up next on the talking about podcast. It's close. Um, yeah. I mean, Danny Green, this is, it's not like this came out of nowhere. It's, well-documented at this stage of his career. He's going to have nights where he just can't hit anything and looks completely abysmal as an offensive player. Um, the key for me is that Doc recognized it and said, all right, it's, you know, it's shaky tonight. Like, Danny, you're a vet, and but that doesn't mean I'm going to I'm gonna keep throwing you out there in the guts of the game. Like, you're going to play 18 minutes tonight, and that's just how, how it has to be. Um, so I don't know if that was always have been the case in the uh, the Brett Brown era like for all everything I liked about Brett he did have the tendency to like stick with his whatever the rotations would be and not be very fluid on a game-to-game basis so yeah it was good to see Doc you know Shake Hat really had it going like you're going to be in, in the closing lineup so it'll be interesting to see whether there's a night where Shake doesn't have quite as positive a game and Danny Green's maybe like, oh, it's a three for six night from three for Danny Green. And will Green be in the closing lineup then? Uh, I mean, that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, 
at this point. I, I I'm not I'm not worried about Green. He he played his role and he'll have his nights where he's off. He'll have his nights where he's on and on an off night, like against Washington, the Sixers now have options. Like they have shake they can throw in there and maybe down the road, they'll have Maxi as an option. So it's, uh, it's encouraging that they're not in a situation where they have to rely on Danny Green, but he's, he's still a great guy to have around as a, as an option. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said there. I mean, we've talked about Danny Green a lot and how we feel about him. Um, what does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. As far as Seth Curry goes, like I said, he kind of picked up momentum as the night went along. Not a stellar night, but not a bad one for him. They kind of got him going with this play where they would have him and Furkan do it, where Joel was posting up on the left block, but they would kind of run him off there to curl up to the top of the key like it was a pin down and then have three shooters spacing to the other side of the floor so basically either opens up the floor for Seth Curry to get a look or just clearing out space for Joel to post up Thomas Bryant who was overmatched against him in the post which I mean it was a nice play I liked what it did conceptually I get a little like worried about Seth that just the talent isn't overwhelming he does struggle to get his shot off at times and he was a little too hesitant for my taste, like looking for his shot because he's a very good shooter. So I worry about that a little, like just how good of a starter is he? Because I think up to this point in his career, he had always been a bench player and, you know, a very good bench player, but still a bench player. So that worried me a little bit. He came up big when it mattered most last night with some of those shots. And even if he isn't shooting well, he's always going to command respect from the defense, which matters to create spacing and just open up everything. So, I mean, I, I had a mixed bag of reactions as far as Seth Curry's performance went. Seth was fine. I, I mean, he was one for five from three. He's a career 40, whatever percent three point shooter. So that's going to change. Like I, I thought he, the looks he took were good. He, he had one open corner three that didn't go in. He's going to make those more often than not. Uh, the important thing is we 
we saw it in that basically game clinching play where Ben slammed at home and Joel threw his arms up in the air. And that photo is now going around as a meme a little bit. Um, but on that play, it's because Seth is such a threat that, you know, mm-hmm. Bryant had to hedge out hard and he, he, they basically like had a soft double team out on Seth. Cause like, they're so worried about him getting a shot off. Well, uh, and that, that, and that, because, that and because Russell Westbrook made a terrible decision. Go on. Well, I mean, Russ was the third defender. He, so you should, if you have Ben Simmons and no help behind you and he's at the, he's right at the rim, you can't step up all the way. It wasn't like he did the, like Draymond Green would do this with the Warriors all the time, where if a guy was coming at him, he could like play it perfectly where he stunts at them, but he can still recover back to his guy, like kind of, you know, making them make a choice, like just slowing them down. Russ sprinted completely to the free throw line. There was no one within like five feet of Ben when he dunked that ball. Right. But like ignore Russ and Ben entirely. Just, just focusing on the two man game. Okay. They're, they're worried about Seth and they're, they're putting two defenders at him. Like he would, he would have had an easy pass to Joel and Bryant was in the vicinity, but he still would have had to recover. And Joel probably would have had, the ability to, to drive the lane before Brian could really close him off and he probably draws a foul or something, you know? So you're talking about the, one of the league's best players in Embiid and somebody who had 15 points in the quarter. So has been dominating Washington the entire period. And because Seth is such a, like a threat as a shooter, they kind of like, all right, Joel, if it goes to Joel, that's fine, but we have to stop Seth here and make sure he doesn't get the shot off. So just the fact that you have a guy like that on the court, that the defense is so worried about, and it's going to open up things for your stars. And yeah, Ben got the dunk, but even if it had Ben hadn't been there and it had just gone to Joel, that would have been a very positive situation to put Joel in where he gets the ball at the foul line with a defender trying to recover over to him versus, oh, Joel fought for 10 seconds with the guy on his back and now he finally has it 15 feet from the basket and has to face up and decide what to do. Mm -hmm. This is a much better situation for Joel to succeed in the, in the end of the game. So having Seth as a guy, like you can run plays like that, like they did with JJ when he was here, that's, that's hugely positive for the team's success. So, and you know, he hits one more three, which would put him at two for five for the night. Like his below his career average and suddenly he has 16 points and everyone said oh Seth had a great game and he had four assists like he had some mm-hmm. some good plays as a secondary playmaker so yeah I mean this this was it wasn't a great game from Seth I and mean, he was still fine like <laughs> so it, good to have him <laughs> yeah I still I still like Seth I'm just I do get worried that like I said there's a reason he's been a bench player up to this point but I mean still stylistically fits perfectly with what the Sixers want to do um we probably should get to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid considering they're the reason this team is good. Both of them, they were a bit rocky at times, both of them, I think at the start, uh, Joel didn't look particularly engaged for like the first six minutes, but obviously picked up as an ego. He was the MVP of the night. Uh, ben Simmons too kind of had some iffy moments, but you know, still some really good play from him finished with 16 points, nine rebounds, seven assists and three blocks, including the one that, I think I tweeted out today where he was recovering in transition as Westbrook came down. What he gets like him and Joel both close on Westbrook. So that leaves Thomas Bryant open on the dump off. As soon as Westbrook passes it, Ben Simmons just turns around the other way and blocks him, which is just a fantastic play by Ben 
his quickness, his instincts, his desire to make stuff happen on defense is all just great stuff. Um, the offense still seems, you know, clunky, clunky because like we've said a million times, Ben refusing to shoot and not being respected by the defenses does clog things up. They tried to run a few more snug pick and rolls of him and Joel, especially early, but I, I think they was worked okay, but not great. He had some success posting up at times, but other times it didn't look great. You know, so I, I think not like a stellar Ben performance, but still a solid one. And then Joel just in the second half, he basically just started hitting difficult mid-range pull-ups over everyone. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, it looked, I mean, Joel made it look easy. He just, his ability to get the ball and just do his little jab step and then just throw put it up and to have soft touch for a guy, his height mm-hmm. is it's pretty incredible. And as a defender, there's nothing you can really do about that shot. So if those are going in, then you just kind of have to tip your cap to him. Um, yeah. He saw that the team was down and the, the, coaching staff put the right lineup around him to maximize his effectiveness and, and keep the double teams away to a certain degree because how the floor spacing was with all the shooters out there. And a couple of times that the double team did arrive, Joel made the right decision. And, you know, he found Cork Moss for, for one, three, and he had a couple, one or two other passes that where he made the right read. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it wasn't a particularly like, pantheon joel game by any means like the second and third quarters he wasn't particularly good by his standards we are Uh, never going to watch the six minutes that started the second half ever again (laughs) some some sicko on sixers twitter (laughs) surely will but it won't be me (laughs) yeah yes watching the sixers first six minutes go score (laughs) i'm I'm now i'm now gonna track why the Sixers' first 15 possessions in the third quarter of the Washington opener failed and write about it. Um, <laughs> the article no one wants to read. Um, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's just what a star does. They, they recognize the team needs them and uh, step up in a big moment. And Joel did that, and that's why he's one of the best players in the league. So good to know nothing has changed in that department, I guess. Um, you know, as for, as for Ben, he, he was a first... De- team all defensive player last year still looks very much the part um both of his what were credited as steals were just excellent instinctive plays by him and they both led to easy transition opportunities for the Sixers one was led to Joel being wide open at the top of the key because his man hadn't recovered back down court yet so that was Joel's only three of the night um courtesy of Ben and then the other one led to I think like a three on two fast break and they fouled uh, Joel or something to keep him from going up. Uh, so, yeah, and and Ben's blocks, you talked about the Brian play, which was incredible. Uh, the other ones were more like the guy was driving into him and he kind of like stripped it away as he was going up. So they called them blocks, um, which are, you know, great defensive plays. But, you know, a, a lot of people see those block totals and like, oh, Ben should be like, he should be the small ball center. He's, you know, look at the rim protection he provides uh, and aside from the Brian play, it wasn't like Ben was coming over and making weak side blocks. So I, I just want people to, when you see something like, oh, Simmons had three blocks, it's not, he's not the rim protector type just because he had those. Um, but he was, you know, played an excellent defensive game. Um, offensively, yeah, it's not like things have changed 
which is unfortunate. Like every year we come in and we're like, oh, we hope Ben adds some offensive facet to his game that wasn't there before. Still hasn't really happened. Um, we saw in the first minute they ran the pick and roll and Ben pulled up for the elbow jumper, which it was interesting. And, you know, it looked fine. It, it almost went in and kind of rimmed out. Um, so maybe we'll see some more of that. Um, just ideally, I'd like to see more. Ben Cott's spaces out to the corner. He's a threat to shoot a corner three if you leave him alone. I, I would really like to see that. Um, and we still haven't really seen that. So uh, that was something we saw a little bit in the bubble um, for those one to two games before he got hurt. And that's that's what I want to see more than anything. So until then, it's kind of the status quo with Ben, which is still a really good player. And that's, we're glad to have him. Um, but until that time, then he's kind of limited as what he's going to provide offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with what you said about the Ben as a rim protector thing. Like if shot blocking was the way we judged rim protecting wholly, uh, Hassan Whiteside would not suck. But, uh, you know, it's partially about not allowing shots to happen at the rim. That's what Embiid and Gobert do so well is it's just hard to get all the way to the rim when either of them are on the court. That's total, That's a big part of it. Uh, not saying that Ben is an excellent defender or that I don't think he could do some really good things as a small ball five. I mean, the appeal is more offensively where he can basically just roll to the rim as a <laughs> – as this dunking, passing screen guy, very much like Bam Adebayo did for the Heat. But moving back to the game last night, I, I liked what Joel did, obviously. I'm a little worried that the Sixers' offense boiled down to Joel hit tough shots for us. Like, part of good offense is getting good shots, getting easy shots. That's what's made LeBron so special for all these years is that Basically, at any time, he can get you an easy layup at the rim. Or Kevin Durant, I mean, Kevin. Dur- I don't know why I brought up Kevin Durant, because Kevin Durant just makes difficult shots look easy because he's Kevin Durant. But I-, I think you know what I'm saying, that there weren't many just wide-open catch-and-shoot threes or easy layups at the rim that the Sixers got. It was a lot of, you know, Joel jab step, one dribble pull-up, which, fantastic that he can hit that. Fantastic that he can do that in the moments of the game that they need it. But... I just want to see the manufacture more easy looks for them. And time and time again, it ends in uh, those Joel shots, those Tobias Harris 10 foot floaters that look kind of difficult and stuff like that, where I just don't think long-term you want to bet on, we're going to hit more difficult shots than the other team. So I kind of disagree with you because I would, I wouldn't say those are difficult shots. It's, for Joel, it's it's kind of like what you said with KD, where Joel isn't as good as KD. As no, no. Here, let me let me let me finish. I'm, I'm making a parallel here. So okay, okay. So KD can get his shot off whenever he wants. The difference is KD can do it from 25 feet and can do it in a highly efficient way. Joel can do it from 15 feet in a highly efficient way. So the key is that you get him the ball in a one-on-one situation. And by having the right personnel around him, they're not going to be able to throw double teams at him and he can go to work and get that 15 footer off, which I think he's pretty effective at if he's just going at it one-on-one and doesn't have to rush it. And, uh, and, and I think that's what we saw. The, the problem previously was that teams would 
throw double teams at him and they didn't have the shooters on the court with him to capitalize from where those double teams were coming. So I think it was different in the sense that they now had the personnel on the floor to be able to do so. And Joel, when he needed to, was making the right reads and finding those guys. Um, so, so I, you know, I wouldn't say that they necessarily didn't have offense in the fourth quarter. I think it was more like, hey, we put our star player, you know, our top 10 guy in the league, we put him in a position to make life a little bit easy for him, where he only had to worry about beating Thomas Bryant in whatever way he needed to. And it happened to be that Thomas Bryant was worried about Joel driving by him. So he gave him a foot of space and Joel was able to hit a pretty, for him, like what's a pretty open jumper. Um, so I don't like, and, you know, we saw games on the line and they drew up a little Seth and Joel two-man game. Like they're going to have those things in their pocket whenever they need to, but there are going to be times when you just say like, hey, our star player is going to have to manufacture a bucket here. And they, the key is that you don't, it, you don't have it be where Joel is exerting all of his energy just to get the ball. And then when he does, like they can quickly throw a double team off of Ben's man who isn't worried about Ben at all shooting from where he is. And they have one other guy on the court who's not a shooting threat. So they, there's another guy they can send over from a rotation. The, those hindrances for Joel aren't there anymore. So just give him the ability to succeed and you have to kind of live or die with those situations because that's in, in a crunch time situation or a playoff situation, ultimately it's going to have to be your stars winning one-on-one situations more often than not. I agree that difficult shot making is so important come playoff time. This was a regular season opener against one of the worst defenses in the NBA. And it felt like they had to rely on their best player making some very, very difficult shots that he did not hit at a great rate last year. Like, Joel last year on shots from 8 to 16 feet was 42.5%, 16 to 24 feet, 36%. Like, these aren't – like, the reason Kevin Durant is great is he, like, hits those shots at, like, 50 to 55% marks, which is just, you know, unstoppable. But the, I just – I they felt like that right as the fourth quarter started, they had to go to Joel 15-foot side dribble pull-up, and I just don't – I just want to know why can't they get all the way to the rim a lot or manufacture just the very easy looks I want to see. I I know what you're saying about it's great that they were able to get Joel the ball and not put him in a situation where he was hindered to not mess up his spacing, to give him, to let him go to work against a mismatch. That's all great stuff. But I just don't, I could definitely see a night where the Sixers come into a fourth quarter down like they were last night and they ask Joel to do those same shots, and through no fall of his own, they just aren't falling that night. Like, yeah, I, sure. I don't think that's going to – if if this is a similar script to how a lot of their games follow, I just don't love the idea of we need Joel to be freaking ridiculous every night to win uh, on those kinds of shots. I know, he's like we said, it was a very good game, but he still finished with 29 points. It's not like – this wasn't like the Lakers game from his second season where he obliterated them. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up the percentages. I would just say that I, I feel like a lot of those last year were Joel got the ball late in the shot clock and he has to put it up and 
those are obviously less efficient shots than what we saw last night where he has time to diagnose the defender and take the shot because it's a shot he feels is open for him and he feels comfortable with. And it's in his rhythm of whatever, you know, kind of one step, step back. He, he's worked on probably a thousand times. Um, so, so I think that's a little different. So I don't, I don't think it's quite fair. Like, yeah, would I like them to have Jimmy Butler where you can <laughs> draw something up and say like, all right, Jimmy's going to get to the rim because he's one of the best players in the league in doing that. Like, yeah, sure. But they, they don't have that player. I mean, we talked in the preseason about how we still feel like that's the biggest thing holding them back is that they don't have that penetrating guard wing closer type that they well, that's going to be do, fake. do that in the playoffs. Yeah. So I, I guess your counter would be like, why weren't they letting Sheik do that last night? Is that, is that what you feel like they should do? I, I just, I'm just trying to put it into context. I feel like Joel was, so hitting so many tough shots in the fourth quarter. I just don't want to see that. I don't want to see every night it's the Sixers escape by the hair of their chinny chin chin because Joel bailed them out with tough shots all night. Like I want to see more cohesive team offense re- resulting in very easy, reliable looks instead of just now, if Embiid hits those shots all season, then, you know, Joel's probably first team all NBA candidate and the Sixers are an awesome team. And I'd be very much happy with that. Very, that would be a very good team. Sign but me up. I just I don't want to have to bet on. Okay, so if the Sixers are going to be really good this season, Joel suddenly needs to be like one of the seven best players in the world. Don't, I, just, I, don't they need Joel to be one of the seven best players in the world? Do you that? think he? Do you think he can be still? Because I think he's great, and I think I would put him like definitely top fifteen and bordering on top ten. But like, there's a lot of good like just right at the top of my head. I mean. Giannis is better. LeBron is better. Durant is better. Harden is better, which won't matter once they have Harden on the team, but you know. Um, right. But like, I just, you know, it's a lot to rely about- on. It's a lot to rely on Joel to be that good. They're, the, I just don't love the idea of relying so much on those kinds of shots. I mean, that, yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair. They, I would say, normally they won't go six minutes in the third quarter without scoring. And that's more so the problem than how they needed to get back in the game in the fourth. It's uh, do not bet on the Sixers go, going more of the season without six minutes scoring droughts. We, we have seen this team too many times to know that that is definitely possible. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Um, but regarding like the Embiid ceiling thing, I guess, I've just kind of always thought like if this team's going to win a title, it's because Joel's a top seven player in the league. It's, it's not going to be this like coalition of. Well, yeah, no, I'm not saying three to four different guys who were all pretty good. And Joel's the best of those, but they're, none of them are like an elite elite player. I, I, I always felt like Joel or Ben, like, which seems less likely because the shot hasn't quite developed, but I always felt like, we needed one of those to become that guy and everything else would kind of fall into place afterwards. So I think what's happening here is I'm coming in at the perspective of, of, I don't think the Sixers are winning a title this year. And I'm just thinking about what's best for them long-term as becoming a better basketball team. Whereas, I mean, if Joel, like you said, if he is like this and is that good, then yeah, they could win a title. That's, I agree. That's how they could do it. I'm just, I'm very much of the belief that this is not what they're going to be, if, if that makes any sense. I don't think they are either. I just, I feel like putting 
your star in the situation to succeed and hoping he does is not the worst way to go about things. Even if it's not, hey, we ran a pick and roll and it led to a lob at the rim or an open corner three on a skip pass every time down the court. Like, I, I don't, I just don't think that's ultimately very realistic, even, even against Washington in a, a regular season game. So yeah, it's not the worst thing in the world that you have Joel getting these kind of like playoff situation in the sense that it's they're down and the team's trying because they're winning in the fourth quarter, those kind of reps and he's doing well with them. Uh, it's not something I'm really worried about. Well, we're bordering on the point of like a tautological statement. And we <laughs> yeah, we, we, we can move away from this. <laughs> yeah. This topic. <laughs> we've, talk, we've talked a lot of Sixers today. Uh, I mean, basic conclusions. Joel was awesome. Ben still some problems, but still very fun to watch. Not a great debut for Danny Green, but we're confident in him being doing what we want him to do going forward. Shake Milton and Tyrese Maxey will one day both be on the first team all NBA together. It, it's going to happen. Uh, any other last takeaways you want to mention for the Sixers, Sean? They're definitely first team in our hearts. Oh, yeah. So there's, there's that. That counts for more. <laughs> uh, any other? No, I think, I think we covered everything. Um, I mean, not the most encouraging Daryl, like Daryl Morey roster debut. Uh, I think more, more people kind of would have liked them to get out in front and just kind of roll rather than have the classic Sixers come out of the locker room and just forget how to play basketball and then have to scrape their and claw their way into a, a very close win against a, an underwhelming Wizards team. Do you, do you think they imagined the home fans booing them for motivation? Maybe that was the problem. Just the, <laughs> the boos weren't quite like I'm sure they're piping them in, but it's not the same. So maybe like the first uh, first two Bertans threes, if, if the uh -huh. crowd had just really ripped into them and let them have it, then the third and the fourth wouldn't have happened. The crowd would have lost its mind during that six minute scoreless stretch. Just it, it would have been like bordering on berating yeah. people. Come on. It, it, there would have been a lot of like, come on, Doc. Like, we thought you were supposed to be different. What's going on? Uh, there would have been, yeah, the fans would not have been happy. Uh, some, some dude in Elton Brand jersey would have definitely got tossed. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, it would have been interesting because, uh, you know, Russ was there and Russ oh, yeah. famously was the player that the Sixers fan did the, the double middle finger at. Um, a couple years moment. back, yeah. So, <laughs> classic moment in NBA history. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I mean, they got the win. So, I think uh, some of the vets, you know, like Danny Green, they'll have better games, and Tobias hopefully can't be quite as bad as he was. So. Again, don't don't say that, Sean. <laughs> Tobias can be quite as bad. You're for game, game four Toronto series, Tobias. Oh, that's true. All right. That, well, that was the worst. I'm I'm projecting he won't be quite as bad against the Knicks and the Cavaliers, which are, are the next two games on the docket for the Sixers. So I, I, I feel fairly optimistic, at least moving forward two games for him. Well, you heard it here first, folks, when RJ Barrett destroys the Sixers for 45 tomorrow night, uh, December 26th that night, you can blame Sean. 
<laughs> thank you for listening to us today. Uh, happy holidays to everyone. Merry Christmas. We'll again, imagine you're all listening to this. It's at least dropping Christmas morning. If as our present to you, if you want to listen to it, uh, we'll be back again next week. Um, I have some interesting uh, schedule conflicts perhaps due to certain things going on, but hopefully we should be back again next week. And yeah, Shake Milton is the goat and that's about all for today. That's right. Happy holidays to everybody out there. And um, yeah, we'll be ringing in the new year with our next episode. So <laughs> th that will be, uh, it'll be good to get out of 2020 and 2021. I can only hope has better things for everyone out there. So until then, uh, enjoy your time with uh, friends and family over this holiday season, everyone. And uh, Daniel, you do the same and I'll talk to you next week. All right. I'll see you next week, Sean. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.